This is the Narrative Shift Podcast, where we talk about faith, justice, race, and everything in between. Hey, I'm Terrence Lester. And I'm Johnny Taylor. And uh, thanks for tuning in. What is up? You're listening to episode 19 of Narrative Shift. This is actually the uh, second part. This is a continuation of the conversation on Black History Month that we were having last week. Wow. 19 episodes, man. Yeah, it's quite a few. Yeah, uh, very excited to continue to dive in uh, around this content and just really explore uh, different ways of looking at narrative and how narrative kind of impacts us and uh, where we find ourselves in this whole grand narrative. See how I did that? Yeah, <laughs> right. Well, let's go ahead and uh, get into this uh, or continue getting into this grand narrative. Uh, one of the things I also like that you say uh, say said uh, during our time is that um, stories can change us. What do you mean by that? Man, I can think of a few uh, different stories um, that have changed me and how like I, I perceive things. But um, specifically, like since we're talking about Black history, um, I know like reading James Baldwin. Uh, like really changed a lot of my perspective on like what it means to be black in America. How so? Um, I think he uh, was just brilliant in the way that he could describe the the black experience. Um, I remember reading his book, The Fire Next Time, and just being like like blown away with some of his um, some of his insights and um, just some of the things he would say about what it, like his experience uh, being black in America. Wow. And I mean, it's been uh, a, f- a couple of years now since I've read the book, so I don't know if I could, could quote it, but I just remember like, like setting, setting it down and like being like, wow, like I, I feel, I feel different now. Wow. Really? Yeah. How so though? How, how do you, what 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 was the difference that you felt is what I'm like I feel like I saw um I guess a, a perspective that I had never even like had never even crossed my mind. It was almost like he had um become like like left this like very vulnerable image of himself. Right. That um I mean, like, I don't even know, like, know what to say about it. Like, like, I guess that I don't, I don't know where else like I would have got that perspective. Would, would from. you, would you, would you say that he showed parts of himself that, like, you wouldn't normally see about a person of color in in this country? That is that what you're saying? Yeah. Like, like I wouldn't like it would. I'm sure it would take me like. Um, like decades to build, I guess, the trust and intimacy level with someone for them to share that kind of stuff with me. What? Wow. Like, I, I feel like in that book, James, he just like, um, he put it on the line. It was very like an intimate, uh, and like self revealing, like he just kind of laid himself bare, which 
You know, I, I think in like the first section of the book, he had written a letter, I want to say to his nephew. I can't remember, like, kind of like on like what to expect on, on being black in America. Right. And I know that was a perspective, like, I probably wouldn't ever be able to hear except in something like that. Right. Um, that's powerful, man. So... It so it changed you personally, but it also changed the way that you see. Yeah. In what ways? Like I, I have a more uh, a perspective that is a little bit more grounded in reality now. Not it's not me filling in those blanks in my own in my own mind. It's like I have real narrative now to replace the imagined or self-informed um wow that's powerful because most people that look like you probably don't don't do that yeah and how is that hurtful or damaging to not only the the carrier of who holds this narrative but like also the recipient of people that are damaged because of those narratives I mean, it's dangerous because it's not true. And no matter how close it is to the truth, it's still not the truth. And, um, man, I feel like it's just important to have the actual truth, like the whole story, not just what you imagine. Um, And without it, like, you can make any amount of assumptions about a group of people or an individual. uh, assumptions that can range from the, you know, the kind of benign, not really hurtful, but not true to the like extremely dangerous, um, where you end up like hating entire groups of people. Wow. Just from embedded lies. Yeah. Because any any kind of narrative, uh, whether it be true narrative or false narrative, will build upon itself. Yeah, yeah, man. It's uh, yeah, it's like I had a, a experience with this. I think it was Friday. Uh, I've had a few of these interactions with uh, people, but uh, people mistaking me for a, a janitor. And like literally coming up to me because I'm an African American, uh, and and asking me, "Am I a janitor?" Like, like no, <laughs> I'm not. Just because uh, of my hue uh, doesn't mean that I'm only entitled to like menial jobs. And uh, you know, I've had a lot of those uh, occurrences throughout my life. Uh, with like police officers and all sorts of things, man. And they leave a, a scar, bro. Like even talking about it, every time I mention some, something like that, it, it gives me, it gives me chill bumps. It gives me like <clears throat> all of these, like different emotions that, that run through my, my body, uh, which is uh very, uh, traumatic. But, uh, I think that's the the danger of the single story. Uh, 
we both like this tech talk uh, called the the danger of the single story. And uh, man, I, I love the the idea that we were discussing with this class in Tennessee when we were talking about we have to give or empower people to own their own story. Um, because if not, our nar- our narratives of a person can be very harmful towards them. And I think you gave the analogy of like the social media account. What, what were you saying again? Yeah, I think we've uh, talked about that TED Talk before on the podcast. But it's yeah. like, um, it's almost like if you were to um, make a social media account for somebody. Or if somebody were to make a social media account for you. And you didn't have any control over what was posted about you at all. Like somebody is updating your, your profile picture for you. They're updating your statuses. And that would be scary. It would be. And imagine as more like a relational distance is between you and the person who runs the account. So like, it'd be one thing if it was like your mom running the account, like it might be a little more accurate, but if it's somebody who's never even met you, like, I mean, I, I doubt any of it would be true. Um, but it's so often, that is kind of how the narratives are handled in society, uh, where a lot of the times people do not have full control or any control over their own narrative unless they are a majority group or a person of power and privilege. Wow. Yeah. And... <sighs> Thus, you're like stripping away that person's opportunity to give their side of the story. Uh, yeah, man, that is uh, that's scary, bro. Yeah, and in a way, like that's almost like kind of one of the th- reasons it seems like uh, Black History Week and then Black History Month were kind of created was to take control of that narrative, right, and to give an alternative. Uh, perspective, uh, which is grounded in like truth and reality. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, man, I made a post about some possible books for uh, people to, to read uh, last month. Like I have a, I have a, a laundry list of books that people could read, but like these are all books that were written by uh, persons of color and I'll, I'll just name a few. Uh, I really like uh, The Color of Compromise by Jamar Tipsy. Uh, Nobody by Mark Lamont Hill. Beloved by Toni Morrison. Uh, if you haven't read The Letter from Birmingham Jail by Martin Luther King himself, uh the Autobiography of Malcolm X by Alex Haley, Killing Rage by Bell Hooks, Where Do We Go From Here, Martin Luther King, Jesus and the Disinherited by Howard Thurman, uh, The New Jim Crow by Michelle Alexander, Why Are All the Black Kids Sitting Together in the Cafeteria uh, by Dr. Beverly Tatum. Uh, she just recently spoke at Plywood last year, I think, the Plywood Presents. Uh, if you want to get uh, hear a talk, I would uh, go on YouTube and just look her up. Uh, the Souls of Black Folks by W.E.B. Du Bois. You read that? I have, yeah. 
Yeah, what did you think about that, man? Um, so, to me, it didn't feel... I mean, it's an older book, so yeah. some of the language <laughs> didn't feel necessarily um, accessible. Right. But uh, overall, I mean, it took me a good bit to read uh, yeah. and to like really soak it all in. Uh, it's, and it's not that long of a book either. Uh, but there were like a few essays I thought were really powerful. Yeah. Um, and definitely a worthwhile read. Yeah. An important read. Yeah. What about Just Mercy? Just Mercy, yeah. Brad Stevenson. Yeah. That's another. On the flip side, like that, it was a complete like page turner. Like I think I read the whole thing in a day. Really? Like couldn't put it down. Like why? Why was good. that? Um, I think the story was compelling and the way that he wove kind of like he had like this one story like kind of interwoven through the whole book and then he was kind of sharing like other little stories that uh, were dealing with different problems and circumstances kind of interwoven with it. Yeah, but I mean, it was like a, uh, you know, I'm always going to be drawn to a book with like a, uh, like a narrative driving all the way through. Yeah. And it was uh, recently made into a movie. Yep. Which I haven't seen yet, but I need I need to go see it. You when, when are you going to see it? I don't know. I think it's I think out it, of the yeah, theaters I think it's now. On, uh, DVD. It's at the Dollar Theater, not too far from here. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, but it is coming out. Um, I'm anticipating the release where we get access it on. Uh, everything is streaming now, so yeah, I'm, I'm going to stream it some more. Uh, what about? What other movies or books you've read that have impacted you? Yeah, so like I, I mentioned, uh, The Fire Next Time. Uh, oh, wow. By James Baldwin. Yeah. That was a, a good one. Um, man, what was that book by Ta-Nehisi Coates? Um, oh, I, uh, I have um, this on the list right here. It is uh, Between the World yes, and Me. Yes, that was another one for me that was... Um, Almost like I had a little bit of a similar experience with the James Baldwin book. Um, like he's a phenomenal writer. Yeah. Content aside, like, uh, like I mean, great writer. But then like the content was also very personal, and uh, there were a lot of, I mean, things that like really changed my my own perspective. Wow. Yeah. So, for you though. Uh, being a white male in America, um, what would you say to other people who may listen to this uh, that can identify with you about starting their own exploration of digesting content? Because it's not easy, right? It's not like no. something you just jump uh, into. You can get whiplash, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. And yeah. Especially like not growing up with hearing about any of these people. Right. It's like, you know, it can be like drinking from a fire hydrant at times. Um, yeah. What have you done to pace yourself? Well, I mean, I, I've realized that though, like I am um, behind in a lot of ways, um, like there's so much still to that needs to be read and heard and, and watched, but... I know that I do have the rest of my life and um, to, to lean into this, this history. And um, so that kind of gives me like a little bit of like, I guess, uh, peace at like 
in my mind. Like, I don't have to read like every single book out there within the span of a month. Right. Like it's something, it's an ongoing process that, um, like, like I never need, need to give up, but it is something like where I can, I can take time to, to lean into. Right. I think, uh, even connecting that back to, uh, Carter G. Wilson's original idea about how education can preserve and give space to a people, um, I think his point was that education has a power to change like how you perceive a group of people as well, right? Oh yeah, yeah. for sure. And like this idea of education is one aspect of uh being proximate, but like how do you how do you take the education and like apply it to your life in a practical way, would you say? Um, where you're living out this yeah. education because yeah. I, I think you have to have both the, the the consumption of content, but also like the uh, the the practical experience of, of like being proximate to people as well. Yeah, yeah. Like it can't be like a uh, like a purely like academic pursuit that doesn't affect how you act or. Right. Uh, you know, like it can't just be another form of entertainment for you either. Um, and, but at the same time, like there is, uh, there is part of that education that it's doesn't really have like a, a practical application per se. It's more of just like something that needs to be known. Yeah. Um, but on a practical level, like it has encouraged me to, to learn more, um, to get closer and also to kind of be like slow to speak at times. Like, let me, uh, like listen to somebody else's perspective before I interject my own. And, um, it's helped me, uh, I guess, create more empathy in myself. Yeah, man. I was, uh, I had, uh, I interviewed one of my friends, Chad Wright Pittman and I think uh, he said it best when he was going through his process of like uh, doing what you 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 like you're saying about being like consciously aware of when like you're taking up too much space and not giving space to other people uh to be seen and to be heard. And uh, I actually want to play a, a small clip from that. So this is what me and uh, Chad were talking about. Why, why would you say it's important for, I guess, uh, young whites uh, of privileged backgrounds to, to be aware of privilege as it relates to, to race in the world and, and where we are? Yeah. Um, one of... One of the primary things is that um, you can do a lot of damage if you don't know where you're coming from. <laughs> right. Um, if you don't know um, what kind of space you're taking up, what mm -hmm. kind of uh, uh, sort of capital you're wielding, right? And yeah. a lot of times um, in my younger life, I remember going into spaces and just being myself. Um, mm. But being myself ended up taking up all this room and talking over people and mm. um, 
and not being aware that other people in the room are coming from different social locations. Mm. Um, as a white dude, I lived in a world that was built for me and kind of wow. by people like me. And so um, there's this huge blind spot where you're just like, oh, you mean everyone doesn't see things the way I see them and everyone doesn't have uh, this path that's laid out before them? Um, and, uh, mm. uh, and until you start listening and learning from others, like... Yeah, you can hurt people. Yeah. You you said something uh, that jumped out to me. Um, you said you were you realized that you was a, a young white guy living in a world that was built for you. What what do you what do you mean by that? Well I mean like uh, so I had an easy time in school and mm-hmm. I thought uh, I thought, well then everyone must just have the same easy time in school. But it wasn't until I realized that um, you know, tests were written by people like me and who mm. spoke the way I speak and who uh, think the way I was taught to think. And um, uh, institutions were built in ways that made sense to me. And I never questioned, like, why that was mm. and why it might be that other people who don't come from my social location might struggle in those same institutions. Um, wow. um, because it, of course, it doesn't come as naturally to them because it's not by them it's not built for them wow there had to be some type of shattering of a of a wall or what what was the the moment that you realized that hey like whoa um this is different than the way that i think i'm existing in the world that is super diverse sure uh, I mean, intellectually, it was in school and in seminary through um, mm. learning and growing with friends and um, reading the work of folks like, like James Cone and Howard Thurman and um, um, uh, opening myself up to that like learning environment. And that's kind of intellectually where it happened. But emotionally where it happened was actually in undergrad. I was in this Bible study uh, and we were reading uh, the first chapter of the book of John. And... Uh, uh, I was just like, uh, this is what I think, and this is what I know, and this is what's <laughs> happening. And then other people came to me. I had a very good friend who came to me after that uh, and said, hey, just so you know, other people think differently than you, and it hurts when you talk like that, and it hurts when you take up that much space, and it hurts when you don't let other people speak. Hmm. Uh, and it broke my heart, and I was like, oh, crap. Like, I am doing damage. You know, I'm not allowing other people um, to share their views and experiences. And, um, yeah, I think what... Um chat right here is is telling us or saying that we do need to give people space and we need to be consciously aware of giving persons those those uh spaces especially people of uh color uh because it's just so important like if we're going to continue to create more a more equitable um and uh equal world then we've all all got to like work very hard to uh, create space uh, for people to be heard and seen, man. Would you say? Yeah, I think so. Um, there is like one more question I, I wanted to ask you as we wrap up. Okay. Um, I know we have uh, like a lot of people of faith and probably even like pastors and whatnot listening to this. Um, but like what, are your views on Black History Month and the church or religious institutions? Like, because I feel like Black History Month is one of those things that really tend to get overlooked um, yeah. in those spaces. What spaces? Because in, you know, for like in, in uh, black churches. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and it's, of, it's, it's, uh, it's celebrated, it's highlighted, yeah. you know, those sorts of things. And, uh, 
the history of uh, you know Africans in in this country. I think is interwoven all throughout the experience of being in like a a, a traditionally black church. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm kind of speaking more on uh, majority white churches, yeah. and even uh, some multicultural churches. I, I see that this yeah. kind of either gets kind of like left out completely, or it's kind of like a one week little. Oh, here's a video. Yeah, but like, what are your views on the church's role? Yeah, man, I I think the church uh, uh, the church has missed a huge opportunity to be Jesus uh, and to affirm, you know, uh, uh, a culture that is still wrestling with many different issues of injustice uh, to this day. I think it's a slap in the face uh, when leaders are silent about issues uh, that affect even some people that attend their church that are, you know, of uh, persons of color. I think it is dishonoring to God uh, because uh God created me. God created uh, people of Latin descent, uh, uh, Native Americans, and God is a mosaic. And I, I feel like when churches leave out, you know that they are—they're um, not honoring the creation of God in those groups. Um, like I've—I've I've been in in churches where, <clears throat> like. You know, uh, African American history or any type of subject surrounding other groups is left out. And uh, I've talked to people who've had issues come up in their community, um, communities of origin, and left the church feeling like God had said nothing to them because it wasn't mentioned. I've been in churches times where like major news stories uh, uh, happened that affected me and I didn't hear God say anything to me and I remember leaving the church like wow you know not feeling like I I belong and so I I think uh, churches have to be better and uh, take more stances and I, I know like church politics get in the way like I don't want to offend anybody but I mean like you offend people when you don't do anything right you're offending somebody it's who who are you going to offend right. who are you choosing to offend right and so like most of the issues that are left out are, are sometimes issues that you know majority culture does not have to deal with mm-hmm. and if you continue to like uh not talk about these issues and only reduce it down to like a, you know, you know, talk on diversity about like, that's not really doing anything. You know, I think it's like, you know, that's, I don't know, man. It, It just feels weird to, to hear talk on diversity, um, 
about how we can all be one and not like hear anything about like why weren't we one when this justice issue was happening yeah. that affected someone who looks like me, right? Um, and I think we have to go deeper. I do, because I think that's what Jesus would do. Yeah. Like Jesus got really proximate to people that weren't even of his own tradition, right? Uh, things that could have got him excommunicated. But he was willing to make those risks and take those sacrifices to, because he loved those people, right? And God loves those people. And God loves me and God loves you and God loves um, us all so much that he would be willing to get proximate. But I I don't think that should be an excuse. Yeah. What do you think, man? Yeah, I think churches can definitely, uh, they can definitely do better. Um Bro, it's, it's, yeah. Yeah, bro. Yeah. Man, I've, I've, uh, man, especially when a lot of those police shootings were were happening, like, bro, like, I, I felt like I had nowhere in, in church to, like, have space to talk and process through that stuff. And, uh, you know, some of the rhetoric of, around blaming the, the victim, right? And so, you know, you sit in church and you hear a communicator talk about God's love, but like, what what about God's love for that person? Uh, what about God's love for that person that represents, you know, other people who've gone through these circumstances or, or issues? Um, yeah. God is about after the heart, right? And a and a part of how our hearts are changed is if we confess, right? And part of that confession is like talking about stuff, right? Um and I think we need to talk about more stuff so we can have more confession so our hearts can be changed more. Yeah. And I also think like the church is supposed to be like a disruptive force, you know. Yeah, it's a it's supposed to challenge false narratives and incomplete narratives, and um, it's supposed to be a beacon of truth and of of love. But oftentimes it it kind of gets stuck behind fear, and I think is not only dishonoring to God but just unfortunate, you know. Right. It's disappointing. Yeah. Yeah, man. As we wrap up, uh, do you have any closing thoughts? Uh, man, I I don't, man. I I think we said a lot. Um, obviously, we didn't talk about a lot of stuff, and I like the fact that we didn't have a lot of notes. We just kind of like flowed with it. Um, I'm hoping people have take something away from this. What about you? Yeah, I mean, I think as we close, and like we've been talking specifically about Black History Month, but man, like obviously, like Black History isn't limited to the month of February. Like any time you choose, you can you can dive into these uh, into these narratives, and you can research more, and you can learn. And I mean, it can be a every day of the week kind of thing, right? Um, but I think, like, on the, the more public level, like, 
I think no matter who you are, um, if you didn't really uh, like share share much, or um, like if, if you'd say like you didn't do well during Black History Month, yeah, this year, like there's next year, like do better, uh, stand up for these narratives, uh, share the voices of people who are unheard. Yeah, yeah, man, uh, that's awesome. Like, I also want to do one more thing. I hope you can find it. But as we close, let's just uh, share our social media handles because I want to end with like a clip from Rihanna. Okay. Yeah. I don't know if you saw the NAACP awards. Uh, She accepted an award, but she gave this talk uh, about what it means to be an ally. And like, she really challenged people to invite their friends who don't look like them to show up and not just on posts but like if people you know if you're doing a march or if you're doing something like those same same people who call themselves friends should also (laughs) be people who will pull up and be present and be seen and be heard Uh, not just pick and choose what they want to like uh, speak out against yeah yeah but I'll go first, man. My social media handle is I'm Terrence Lester. I M T E R E N C E L E S T E R. Uh, I have an opportunity to help lead an organization called Love Beyond Walls. And we started the Dignity uh, Museum. So uh, those social media handles are at Love Beyond Walls. That's Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Same thing for Dignity Museum. And also, if you want to learn more information, uh, about us, you can visit our website at lovebeyondwalls.org. Uh, what about you, John? Yep, you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at JohnnyTaylor95. That is J O H N N Y T A Y L O R 95. And we want to thank you so much for listening. Uh, we would encourage you to subscribe and share this with friends if you found that any of this dialogue or information was inspiring or helpful to you. Yeah. Yeah, man. Now check out this uh, last clip from Rihanna. Thank you, Derek, and thank you to the staff, board, and community of the NAACP, including all of you guys here in this room and everyone at home watching who's devoted their lives and efforts toward supporting people of color. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I'm gonna try to keep this simple because um, tonight is not really about me because the purpose is bigger than me, right? You know, it's not bigger than us together, but it's bigger than me because my part is a very small part of the work that's being done in this world and the work that is yet to be done. I'm lucky I was able to start the Clara Lionel Foundation in 2012. And if there's anything that I've learned is that we can only fix this world together. We we can't do it divided. I cannot emphasize that enough. We can't let the desensitivity seep in. That if it's your problem, then it's not mine. It's a woman's problem. 
It's a black people problem. It's a poor people problem. I mean, how many of us in this room have colleagues and partners and friends from other races, sexes, religions? Show of hands. Well, then, you know, they want to break bread with you, right? They like you? Well, then, this is their problem, too. So when we're marching and protesting and posting about the Michael Brown Juniors and the Tatiana Jeffersons of the world, tell your friends to pull up. Thank you to the NAACP for all of your efforts to ensure equality for our communities. Thank you for celebrating our strength and tenacity. We have been denied opportunities since the beginning of time, and still we prevail. So I am honored. Imagine what we could do together. Thank you for this honor.